The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 54. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. This week's episode, special guest Mark Johnson returns to the PKD Black Box for a second time as we discuss the ins and outs of the ebook market, and we also discuss his new ebook, Catalyst, The Passage of Hell's Fire, which is a fantasy ebook, a 105K high fantasy coming-of-age novel available in various markets from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Smashwords, and we are going to really go in deep when it comes to the whole ebook thing as far as his creation of the book, um, you know, as far as editing, all these other things, ebooks, pricing. We're going to talk about a lot of it during this interview. So I hope you really enjoy it because this is something that we just really haven't talked about on this show. We talked about digital comics, comic books, toys, movies, everything under, under the sun, but we really haven't touched ebooks too much. So I hope you enjoy the, that interview. But before we do that, there are some things that I want to talk to you about. This past weekend was Free Comic Book Day, and I'm sure many of our listeners hopped by their local comic book shop to pick up some free comics and support your local comic book stores and whatnot. And I took it upon myself to stop by some of our local comic book shops. My neighborhood has four stores. I was able to stop by three out of the four stores in my neighborhood this weekend, and they were all quite busy, as a matter of fact. And I was also there for a couple other reasons. One was to promote Fracture by Action Lab Entertainment. Now in this month's previews. Yes, it's very true. Fracture is in previews. We are in the, the May previews, page 223. So if you're interested in checking out a superhero dark comedy, three-issue limited series, go to your comic book store, go to your, um, <laughs> go to your online vendor, and pre-order a copy of Fracture. 28 pages, no ads, $3.99. But you can get it at DCB service for $2.19. So there you go. Anywho. I was going to a lot of these stores just to check out, see what they had as far as free books that were available, possibly pick up some stuff and promote Fracture with some postcards for these stores so that you know customers can pick it up, look at it, say, oh, okay, cool, I'm interested. Let me pre-order a copy. So the first store I go to is a local store called Collectibles, etc. Now, this is around 3 p.m., so I figured that by this time, free comic book day would you know, have died down a bit. It wouldn't be as busy. This store was packed from like wall to wall, ear to ear, just full, completely full. And they had a table with artists doing sketches for free comic book day and, you know, some indie, some indie books in there, too, like self-publishers and stuff like that. They had a slew of free comic book day books, possibly the biggest selection I had seen of the three stores that I went to that day during that period of time. Talked with some artists, talked with the owner of the shop. He allowed me to have the fracture postcards in there. He was really interested um, about the book, told him a little bit more about it. He checked out the seven-page preview, and he said, you know, and he was really interested in promoting the book at his store. So that was a real positive thing for me. 
because I didn't know I didn't know what was going to happen. Really, really nervous about about you know talking to him about the book. But once I started, it wasn't a problem. But I guess I was more nervous about his reaction than anything else. But he was extremely positive. So chalk up one for Action Lab with collectibles, etc. So it was cool, really, really cool. So then I had head to the second shop, a place called Heroes Realm. And over at Heroes Realm, what they were doing was insane. What they did, and this also brought a lot of customers to their store. They had some signings. They had some artists, all types of stuff. Well, they also did a thing where all their comic books, with the exception of new releases, all their comic books, whether it be in the uh, long boxes or on the shelves, as long as it wasn't a new release, were a dollar. One dollar. So you mean to tell me that I can get caught up on my uh, Zatanna run for basically a buck a piece instead of paying two ninety nine. Really? Yes. Bought them. That Jimmy Olsen, Nick Spencer comic that everybody's told me about, I copped that. Yes. Instead of paying six bucks, one dollar. Bargain. And they also had, um, I also picked up some other books. I had some free comic book day books, some other stuff. It's just a stack of books. Dirt, just dirt cheap. It's just a great deal. They also had a thing where you could purchase toys because they have toys from yesteryear and today. Uh, you buy two, get one free. Well, I didn't buy two toys, but I did buy one in particular. I'm not sure if many of you remember a TV show or cartoon called Defenders of the Earth. And Defenders of the Earth was when they took the uh, King Feature Syndicate uh, owned characters like Flash Gordon, the Phantom, and Mandrake the Magician, and basically made them into a super team. And the Defenders of the Earth also had this one black dude on the show named Lothar. Lothar was a ninja from from the Caribbean. Let me repeat that once again. A ninja from the Caribbean. It's not Billy Ocean, but it's damn enough tight for me. So he was one of my favorite characters on the show because I thought Mandrake was weak. Phantom was cool, but I never had the opportunity to get the Lothar action figure ever. Could never find it. The gentleman that owns the shop was selling the Defenders of the Earth Lothar figure in package, never open. This thing is over 26 years old. Package is in great shape. Seven bucks. Mandrake the Magician was right next to it. Didn't want to fuck with it. Just gave me just give me my Lothar and I was good to go. So I got a slew of books and a kick-ass Lothar action figure for like $25. So pretty much 18 books and one action figure for $25. You, you, you can't beat that. You just can't. So I was quite pleased. I did talk to the owner about Fracture, gave him the spiel. I even gave him a PDF copy of the book to review as proof that the book was legit. And he was down to order copies because retailers can order when they order the book. If they order five copies, they get one free. So that's kind of a bonus, you know, for the retailer. And that helps that helps us out, too. We, we just want to we just want to earn the um, store owner's trust. So I was two for two. Excellent. I was happy. I got some cool swag and got some free books. Picked up that Richie Rich. Uh, picked up that like that Smurfs uh, combo, uh, combo free comic book day book, some lo- lock and key free comic book day book, mouse guard, all that cool stuff. So then I go to the, my go to this next shop called Comic Interlude. This shop. Now, I told you, like, the last store has some cool toys. This store has just, like, uber toys. I mean, so many toys. It's ridiculous the number of toys that, that this store has. And they have a great selection of comics, too. I talk with, I talk with the um, person that runs the shop there, handed them the postcards, and also offered them a PDF copy of the book, Ecstatic. 
completely ecstatic, completely thrilled. And as soon as he put the postcards down, there were people in the shop started asking about it, and they said that they were going to be ordering the book, and it's coming in the store, and that because a local a local person, me, you know, was helping to get the book, you know, get the book out there, they were going to support it. So it was just like a three for three day bat in a thousand. I was on top of the world. I just felt great because I did something good for Action Lab for our local shops. So that was like really, really kick ass. Plus, that store had a special where if you bought one book, you got one free. So bought some Supergirl. You know, got some got some Jamal Eagle issues. Um, let's see what else did I pick up. Picked up some Oni Press titles. Oh, Frenemy of the State. They had some like old friend Frenemy of the State books just sitting there. So I bought a couple of those. All types of goodies. So free comic book day was an excellent, excellent weekend for Sean. I was quite happy. I'm going to go check out the fourth store that I wanted to check out. I just didn't have time on Saturday. A place called A-Plus Comics to see um, if they would be interested in um, also having Fracture at their stores. So keep your fingers crossed. And I hope your free comic book day was great too. The one good thing I saw about free comic book day this year from like you know the moments i had at these stores people just weren't walking in grabbing the free books and leaving they were actually buying stuff so it's always a good thing it's, it's always a good thing to me personally i think free comic book day needs to be everywhere it needs to be in comic book stores it needs to be in malls movie theaters uh, walmart if walmart doesn't want to control the content it needs to be everywhere more exposure the better and i think that's just a great thing so kudos to free comic book day wish it was four times a year but you know what you got to do what you got to do and at least lay we get it once so it's a great thing all right two last things to get to before we get to our feature presentation the first has to do with the new york comic-con which is taking place october 13th through 16th at the jacob k javits center there's been like a little bit of controversy surrounding um in as far as trying to acquire an artist alley table and by controversy i mean um, on their website for the artist alley table request form if you go to the website it says uh, for artists because full tables are five hundred dollars half tables are three hundred dollars and you have to pay in full by july 18th in order to reserve your full you know your space now it says underneath that that Note, the selling of CDs, T-shirts, pins, or any items that are not artwork is strictly prohibited in Artist Alley. Now, as we all know, if you're an artist, you know, you're not just, you know, you sell, oh, I'm sorry, let me correct myself. You sell your wares however you can, whether it be that you have a prints, whether you, you know, do, you're doing sketches, whether you may have had a book that you worked on uh, with a publisher or that you self-published, or you may have your own web comic that has, you know, t you know that has its own t-shirt, uh, that has its own you know, music soundtrack, you, you know, pins, buttons, and stuff like that. As an artist, you try to make as much money as possible however you can. And I felt that, and I mentioned this on Twitter, and I, and I had even tried attempts to email uh, the people at the New York City Comic Con about this, that I thought personally that that was unfair to artists that pay $500 and $300 at an artist for an artist alley table, which is expensive. And, you know, compared, you know, compared to smaller shows, yes, this is, a, this is a bigger show. Yes, it's New York City, and it's going to be, it's going to be expensive. But still, that's a lot of money. And, and you know, you're not able to sell all of you. you can only sell a fraction of yourself so i just had issue with that and you know like i said before i tried to email them got no reply 
um, you know, talk, talked about it on Twitter. A couple other people chipped in. Uh, Larry Martyr uh, uh, from the crew, the wonderful independent creator from Bean World chimed in. Uh, TJ Tunnington and, and just tons of like artists, independent, every, just everybody just, like started to chime in on it. And TJ was able to get through to the New York City, to the New York Comic Con people. And they got back to TJ. TJ got back to me. This is all through Twitter. And we found out that artists can sell their own licensed products like T-shirts, pins, etc. Uh, you just have to contact Kim at readpop.com for details. So in other words, if you've got stuff that you've done that's affiliated with you, whether, you, whether it's a webcomic or whatever, or if it's something related to what you do in your craft, you should be okay. But just to make sure before you fill out that application and pay that money, contact Kim at readpop.com for details. Because you want to make sure that you can sell as much as you possibly can as an artist to one recoup on your costs because $500, $300 for a table is not cheap. Plus you got your hotel costs. If you stay at a hotel, if you stay with friends and fam, you all right, but still it's all about trying to make that paper and trying to maximize your potential value as an artist. So even though like in that statement, that note is still on the New York comic con website. Um, as far as the artist alley table request form about the selling of CDs, T-shirts, pens, or any items that are not artwork is strictly prohibited in artist alley, to which then you would ask the question, well, what technically is artwork? What does that all cover? But as I said before, uh, we were told through uh, Twitter that artists can sell their own licensed products, T-shirts, pens, etc. Just contact Kim at Repop for additional details. Uh, Kim, K-I-M at readpop r-e-e-d-p-o-p dot com and that is proof as to how powerful twitter can be when you really need to get a hold of somebody it's it's just amazing social media when it wants to work it works great so there you go the last thing i want to talk to you about has to do with web comics uh creator katie cook fantastic artist she has, you know, she's seen her stuff in Dark Horse books. You've seen her stuff with Lucasfilm. She's done some work for Fraggle, the Fraggle Rock uh, anthology comic that's been coming out lately. All types of projects. I mean, just she's been everywhere. She has a webcomic called Gronk. And in one of her latest strips, one of the main characters in Gronk has a no hate, you know, N-O-H and a number eight reference on um on their shirt and the character's name is dale that's her name dale and she had a no hate shirt on there was a reader i guess who got offended by it and said that he wouldn't continue reading the comic if uh, that wasn't removed now here's the here's the thing and this has always been a, a major problem with me as far as when you're dealing with things like web comics or anything in particular that you're getting f for free and that you're reading for free you, the per to the person that made this complaint, you honestly have no damn rights whatsoever to even suggest that type of notion. It's Katie's webcomic. You don't pay for it. You're not a major contributor. So you can't dictate what content goes into that webcomic. You may disagree with, with Katie's feelings and statements, but it's her property. It's her content. She owns it. Hence, she can do whatever she wants to do with it. And this goes not just for Katie, but this goes for like a lot of for a lot of things, whether it be, you know, music, art or whatever. It's one of those things where if it's given for free, you can't dictate the content. You can't. 
You you can't. You can't dictate it. You can't change it. It's their content because they're giving it to you for free. Now, if this dude was like the major financier of Gronk and was paying like millions of, you know, just paying millions of dollars and then said, you know what, I got a problem with that. See, that's different. You can't tell someone what to do when you don't contribute to it, period. And that's the one big thing about you know, internet stuff, um, you know, you know, being able to read these comics for free, being able to get free music from, from artists that are just trying to promote themselves. You can't dictate the content and it's stupid and foolish to think that you can. But then again, this all goes back to what I've been saying for the longest time. When you don't teach about the value of art in schools, and, I, and there are still a few schools that do, but there are many that don't because I'm sorry, putting that, putting your hand on a piece of paper and tracing it and calling it a turkey, that doesn't cut it with me for as far as art goes. If you don't teach the value of art from like grade school through high school, whatever, you don't teach that. This is this is what we this is what we get. This is what we get. We get people that think that they can just say whatever they want about the content and dictate how the content works. It doesn't work like that. And, you know, that that and that person really needs to understand that. And I applaud Katie for politely telling this guy that it's, it's her content. It's her property. She can do whatever she wants to do with it because she's in the right. He's in the wrong. I just wanted to also give props to Katie Kick because she's one of the hardest working artists out there. So, you know, kudos to you, Katie. And you just keep hustling and you keep doing you and you'll be all right. And last but not least, I want to give a special belated Mother's Day shout out to my mama. Um, she's the one that got me into this world of geekery, comic books, and science fiction. As a kid, she took me to see Star Wars when I was three years old. You know, we used to watch when I was like six and seven years old. We used to watch Star Trek, you know, that was syndicated, you know, on the weekends. You know, she would watch Ghostbusters with me every time it come, every time it would come on TV. She, she's the one that got me introduced to the Muppet Show. You know, she's the one that like got me into watching like the old school Adam West Batman. She's the one that took me to comic book stores. She introduced me to my first comic book store, as a matter of fact. You know, she would buy, just buy books, you know, if she was at like a, uh, a convenience store or wherever, and she would just you know, give them to me and I'd get excited about it. So, you know, I, I have, you know, a lot to, you know, I have a lot to thank her for besides that. She's just a great, a great mother and a great person. And, and, you know, I love her to death. So I just want you to know, mom, I know you don't listen to podcasts, but if you, but if you ever did. I love you and thank you for everything that you have ever done for me. So happy belated Mother's Day and happy belated Mother's Day to all the mothers putting in work, every single one of you. So we love you. And now our feature presentation. I am joined on the line by a gentleman you've probably heard on the PKD Black Box before. He was on an episode a while back. We talked about some Transformers. We talked about, uh, let's see, was it Beast, Beast Wars and Beast Machines and all types of uh, Transformer greatness. But this time we're here to talk about something different. This gentleman, not only does he have his own podcast, Vias for Vertigo, uh, he is also an author. And he recently just published a book called Catalyst, The Passage of Hell's Fire. Um, it's a 105K high fantasy, and the synopsis of the book, or blurb, is as follows. For centuries, the kingdom 
of Alexandria has protected Northrend Shala from the monstrous creatures lurking in the wastelands. Now, a dark force threatens that fragile peace. Far from home, Alexandria's princess is abducted. When a young villager named Hellsfire stumbles upon her and her captors, he rushes in to rescue her, alone and unarmed. His fear and fury unleash an uncontrollable magical force that grants him the power to save the princess and change the world. Hellsfire has never craved nor dreamed of power, but such magic as he now possesses has not been seen in Northrend Shala for over a thousand years since the devastation of the War of the Wizards and the creation of the Wastelands. Now Hellsfire must leave all he's ever known and make a dangerous journey to learn to master this wild, ferocious power. Power he knows he is not ready to wield. More difficult still, he needs to master his emotions. If he can't, the power will consume him, Alexandria will fall, and darkness will eclipse the land, destroying everyone he loves. In the dead of cold, the spark shall burn. The author of this book, Catalyst, The Passage of Hell's Fire, is the one and only Mark Johnson. Mark, how you doing, sir? Same old soup, man. Just reheated. <laughs> well, well, hopefully it's a tasty soup, sir. <laughs> it is. It is. Fantastic, man. Hey, thanks for coming back on the show, sir. No, thank you for having me. It's always great to talk to you. Like I said, we talked before on this show. I've talked before on your show. We talked about Unwritten. We've talked about Incognito. On you know, on our podcast, we talked some Transformers talk and all types of stuff. But this time, you know, we're taking it to a subject we really haven't talked about too much on this podcast, and that's ebooks. Um, your your book, Catalyst: The Passage of Hell's Fire, is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Smashwords. Now. My question, my first question to you is, why did you choose the ebook format for your book? Well, uh, before I answer that, yes, sir. Let me say that it's it's also available. It just uh, became available on uh, iBookstore, Sony eReader, Diesel eBooks, and by the time this goes up, it'll probably be available for the Kobo. So, uh, oh, but the reason I I went to the ebook route is that. Publishing, it's in a very tumultuous state right now. And it's it's a weird, it's a very weird industry. Like you might realize that the comics and movies and and music are also weird and it seems they do things that make no sense. Mm -hmm. But books probably do it the most. So I decided to go my own route because I believe I have a a better business model. And to be perfectly honest, they follow trends. And I don't think my trend or my book is a trending right now. So they probably wouldn't buy it. I look at it. I also look at it like this. You're also dealing with a genre, I think, is which is great for ebooks, fantasy. Yes. Uh, to, to, to be honest with you, because uh, we live in the world of, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and all those other uh, fantasy novels out there. Please, please forgive me. I'm not the biggest fantasy novel buff in the world. I know right now Lori Thomas is probably shaking her fist at me because she can because <laughs> she can name off 10 or 11 fantasy writers. Boom in a row. But it's still a very popular genre, period. And that doesn't matter whether it's coming from the electronic age or the paperback age. Um, you know, so this is something where this is a market where you could definitely infiltrate and also find readers that you may not have been able to find print wise, you know, paper wise. You know, I think you're you're going to be able to find a lot more readers on the electronic side than you may on the paper side right now. This is it's true. Like the people that read ebooks or at least genre fiction, it consists of romance and erotica and fantasy are some of the bigger ones. 
but in uh, the print world, the biggest things that are hot right now are urban fantasy. And those are the ones with the, uh, like, I don't know if you, Jim Butcher, if you've heard of him. I've heard the or, name, yes. Or Laurel K. Hamilton. Like, those are super hot. And, of course, zombies. But that's not really, uh, I guess, <laughs> fantasy. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and uh, dystopian fiction right now. Yeah. With the Hunger Games and whatnot. Okay. So, but traditional, like, my book is traditional high... Uh, adventure fantasy and those i've noticed aren't really selling right now in the traditional world say high fantasy like in um you had told me that this book is a one a 105k high fantasy in layman's terms what does that mean you know, like like lord of the rings there's uh you know while my book doesn't focus on because it's a uh, first person it's more of a coming of age stories it does have a lot of those elements like magic and there's even a dragon and elves and dwarves so if you want that it's in there but i think my book is more to do uh to deal with growing up I'll, uh, I try to compare it to the first Star Wars and the Matrix movies. Like, those are very coming of age. And while there is lightsabers and bullet time, they're pretty much the same story of a hero's journey. Now, as far as, like, the whole coming of age thing goes, and we, and we see this across the board on all genres, but especially most, you know, very heavily in stuff like fantasy, especially a lot, like a lot of mainstream fantasy, you'll get a lot of coming of age tales for that first story. Do you feel that the coming of age story within a fantasy novel for like your, for your intro is the best way to introduce readers to your world? And, and do you think that's the best way for a lot of, you know, people that are, that want to do fantasy fiction um, or fan, I'm sorry, fantasy writing or write fantasy novels per se, is that the best way for them to introduce an entire world and feel and feel comfortable within it? I think it's something everyone can relate to, okay. but I don't I don't think people have to do it. Like I chose this because it's been something like the whole Passage of Hellsfire series. I started writing when I was very young, and it, I've been like working on it for I guess half my life by now. So it's just something that I've wanted to do. And but it's different for everyone. Like a lot of stories I read aren't aren't coming of age. But it's just it's just my thing. It's just it's the story I love the most. Yes. Like if you look at my DVD collections or my books, it's I like I gravitate towards that. So I wanted to write something towards that. You had mentioned that you have been you know writing this book you know since you know since you were young. And now as far as the character of Hell's Fire goes. Because I, I noticed, like, like on the comicforums.com, that's your that's your name on the comic form is Hell's Fire. Uh, so when I saw that blurb, first time I saw the blurb for Catalyst, I was like Hell's Fire. I was like, well, that's that's his form name. I, it took me a moment to put two and two together and say, oh, okay. So he's that name he uses on the forums is actually not just a name for the forums. It's actually something that's probably been in the works for a very very long time. So as far as the name Hell's Fire goes for your for your main character, what was the inspiration or the nature for you to use that name for that character uh i i came up with it like i get most of my story ideas from from dreams so when i was about 13 ish uh, i had this dream and uh it's weird it's like i i dreamt the fire and there was like a whole story 
that I saw. And I generally remember my dreams, even though they're outrageous. Um, and then I just I just felt the need to write it. And then I came up with the name Hell's Fire. It might have been I wanted something to relate to fire. Uh, there is a real reason, like story wise behind that. Uh, but for me, it's like I wanted something that related to fire and sound cool. But uh, there, there's actually like a real reason why his name is that. Are there any other characters that you feel in Catalyst, Passage of Hell's Fire, stand out and make a, um, you know, like a strong, give the readers a strong connection? Or, you, you know, we had mentioned, you had mentioned with like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars and stuff like that, and other coming of age tales, whether it be science fiction, whether it be, you know, something that's print, movie, whatever, Matrix. Those types of um, things have characters that, like, you know, either people relate to or people just love. Like, Star Wars has Han Solo. Uh, you know, Matrix has, like, you know, you got Neo and you got, um, oh, what was Lawrence Fishburne's character? It's been so long. Um, Always Morpheus. Thank you. Thank you. And you have Morpheus. Now, do you feel, I'm not trying to do a compare contrast, but do you feel outside of Hell's Fire, there are like other characters you feel in this novel stand out? There's a, a love interest, of course, and she's introduced very uh, early, the princess. And she's pretty important and people might relate to her. And then I've been told that people like my smart ass dragon. And there's even uh, like the, the mentor, people might like. Him. So I, I guess it depends on your personality and what you gravitate towards. Okay. As far as the dragon goes, you said it's a, a, a wise-ass dragon or a wise-cracking dragon. Now, with this dragon, does the dragon play a prominent role, a strong prominent role in the story over the span of like X amount of novels? Or is it just one of those things where, you know, the, the dragon shows up every now and then? No, he's, he's, a, he's a minor character. He's a minor slash supporting character. He's not really the focal point. He's he's just in. It's I guess you could say he's he's like the Han Solo. Okay. Like, but maybe not as important because at least Han Solo shot down the ship so Luke can blow up the Death Star. (laughs) 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 And and he doesn't have an accent. He doesn't sound like Sean Connery or anything, does he? Uh oh, he could. I love Dragonheart, man. <laughs> I, I fucking love that movie. He he could. It's I tried to keep things simple. Stephen King, he can do really good uh, accents in his in his dialogue, and that that's obviously not me. So I'm not gonna try. I try to add some things, but he's simple. And then the names are simple because. I don't read much fantasy because sometimes I, I read the back and I'm like, I can't pronounce this. And he's a main character. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, that's cool, man. I, I like Dragonheart 2. Wait, you like Dragonheart 2? Yeah, no, 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 not the sequel. I'm talking about I like the movie. Oh. <laughs> no, I didn't watch that direct video sequel. Now, come on now. I saw that, dude. It was, it was horrible, man. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. I didn't. I didn't fool with the sequel. I, the, the first one, I'm good with. The second one, oh, it's just awful. You know, some of these studios should be ashamed when they make these like direct-to-video sequels. Now, there are some that are good. Okay, I will admit there are some direct-to-video sequels of theatrical release films that aren't bad. There are some. I'm like, you know what? You could have put that fifteen, twenty, thirty million dollars and just invested it in something else. It, it's uh-huh. it's ridiculous. I can't think of any that are good. Did you ever, I- Did you ever see the Smoking Aces sequel? 
No, I, I just recently watched Smoking Aces, but I haven't seen the sequel. Yeah, the sequel was direct to video. Um, it does have so, it does have some of the characters from the original Smoking Aces, uh, like like Vinnie Jones and stuff. But yeah. I did enjoy watching the sequel. And we've got it, like, I think off Netflix, if memory serves me right now. I was walking into it like, you know what? This is really going to suck. Yeah. It's very rare that direct-to-video sequels for popular properties will do well. And I liked it. I, I really did. My motto is, as long as you're better than the uh, last two Iron Eagle sequels, you're okay. Aw, uh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's been forever since I watched those, man. No, I just remember laughing uh, during... No, I didn't laugh. Like, first I was just, like, shocked. But then when I saw it again, I laughed. Like, when Iron Eagle 2 came out and the kid got shot down yeah. and everybody thought he was dead... And then come to find out, was it number three or number four? They had to rescue him from like a POW camp. Oh, man. You see? <laughs> but Lou Gossett Jr. was raking in that cake during those movies, though. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I just thought of DVDs, directed DVD movies I do enjoy. Okay. The American uh, Pie series. Oh, okay. Okay, there you uh, go. I mean, those are just raunchy comedies, but I, I do enjoy those. Okay. Well, see, I don't know if they're good. To, to each their own. I've seen a couple, and there are some spots where I'm like, "Does Eugene Levy really need this paycheck? Does he need it that bad?" <laughs> but then, you know, but it, it, to me, those were funny in spots. But like the the sum of parts doesn't always equal the whole, if you know what I mean. No, I agree, man. You, you know, but if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. That's what it's all about. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sprinkle hate on your parade. <laughs> well, there's there's it's like raunchy nudity. And uh, and then there's like some racist jokes and some action, and it's very unpc. So I like all that stuff. Okay, no, that's all good then. <laughs> cool. No, 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 it's all good. All right, we um, let's take it back to let's take it back to Catalyst now. Now in comics, like you know, when making a comic book, we have editors, we have we have people that help us with scripts, we have people that help us make sure that the artwork is on point, stuff to make sure that the book, the comic book or, or, or a trade paperback or original graphic novel is on point. So when a reader looks at it, they enjoy it from beginning to end. Now, a lot of people feel that with ebooks, ebooks sometimes get a bad stigma of, okay, this is going to be awful because I'm sure that this isn't proofed, this isn't edited, it's just going to be sloppy and stuff like that. But I'm glad I have you on here because I want to talk to you about this really? because I know you have an editor. Yes. I agree with you. I think... The worst thing you're going to do if you're going to indie slash self-publish is to rush and put something out there without saving a few bucks to get it edited. While I may not agree with a lot of New York's uh, practices, I do agree with editing and hiring a great editor. But it'll cost like a few grand. I think total, I had my book edited three times Twice was for developmental editing, which has to do with, and this is what a lot of uh, writers don't realize. Like they do, editors do a lot more than copy editing or proofreading. There's developmental editing, which you got to deal with the characters, characterization. Does the story make sense? Uh, plot holes and uh, descriptions and settings and the whole nine. So I got that done twice, and then when I was done and I was finally happy with the product, I had it copy edited, and that ran me. I don't know how much it runs for you in comics, but that ran me about four grand. Mm. So you did development editing twice and then copy and then did a copy edit. Yeah, developmental editing is the most expensive. And when I queried editors, I think the cheapest 
rates I found was like 30 an hour all the way to 50 an hour. And if people want to get their stuff edited, which they should, you can easily get samples from all these people. So I chose based on like price, samples, the various emails, what I thought their personality was and if I'd work with them and like uh, everything. But yeah, it, it costs it costs a lot of money though. In all seriousness, that I believe with comic books, it's a little different as opposed to novels and and stuff like that. Like, say for instance, like with Action Lab, we have a creative editor, uh, Dave. Dave's our creative editor, so he makes sure that the pe- the sequentials look nice. He and the editor in chief, um, Sean Sean Gabrin, they go through the scripts, make sure the scripts are on point, and they do those things to where they want to make sure that the characters are sound, where the story actually does make sense, and so you have a beginning, you know, basically a beginning, middle, and end. Um, yeah. Whether it be that beginning is issue one, the middle is issue two, and the end is issue three, or if it's just in one book, it's you know it's very fluent. Did you? Yeah, but did you? Did you have someone like that when you uh, were doing PKD uh, Media? Nope. No, I I I literally what we would do is I would write the scripts and I would like check them through two or three two or three times. I would send them off to the artist to do, like do their work. I would get their artwork back. And depending on, like, say, for instance, if, if I paid somebody, then, yeah. and then I could say, okay, if I paid somebody to do the art, I could say, okay, look, check it. I like this panel, but this one needs fixed. Or this page is great, but this page needs some work. But if I got the artwork for free, it's one of those things where beggars can't be choosers. Yeah. So I kind of had to be, so I had to kind of like be careful with that. But now, like with Action Lab, you know, we've got a little bit of a budget. So, and we've got actual, we have, we have an actual team. So uh, it, it, it makes for it makes for a smoother process, as opposed with PKD Media. It was me trying to not only promote myself but to promote others to say, "Hey, we make comic books. Hey, check this out." So it, it was completely different. I'm kind of at where you are at on uh, PKD uh, Media because it's just me, and I have to. Well, I have a very close personal business friend to discuss shit with. Mm-hmm. It's I'm the decisions, but I had to really. Like, I really do love my editor, although when I first got my first edits back, she, I mean, I paid two grand, but she ripped me a new one, and I was like, I was, I was crying on the inside, man. But mm. you, you gotta, after, I think hiring an editor, at least for books, is important because I did enjoy your uh, PKD uh, media stuff, but, but for books, it's like, editors are still super important yes and you got to learn to work with them and apparently even though i was talking to my editor about this even though she people hire her some people don't listen to her and i'm like well what's the point and that's a lot of like wasted money yeah no doubt especially like for like the coin that you put in for for your book yeah tell tell me about it (laughs) (laughs) and i gotta do it again for the second book oh We mentioned some of the places where you can get the book. I mentioned three places, and you had mentioned about three or four others. On top of the ones I mentioned, how long do you think it would take you as far as recouping cost? Because this is one thing that people, whether you're making a comic book, whether you're make, whether you're writing a novel, a lot of people don't understand is that if there's cost involved, yeah, you may have sold X amount of copies, but you got to apply that also to the amount of money you spent to make it. For basically production costs how long do you think it would take for you to recoup what you had to put in for this book oh well i think my my total costs for everything including registering my business name paying for advertising and website i think it ran about five grand 
And uh, I think I'm aiming to be in the black two to hopefully two years, but maybe three years mm-hmm. later. But then uh, I'll be spending more. So I it's it's all I don't I don't really know because while I emailed like because people don't know who I am, obviously, <laughs> I have a book out, but I'm an unknown with no audience. I have to get it out there to like book bloggers to get it reviewed. And I, I'm sure you did the same thing with your comics, right? Yes. And but their their turnaround uh, turnaround time for a, a comic book is, I'm assuming, a lot faster than like a book, which will take months. Right. Oh yeah, most de- most definitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I can only ass- hope that people will like my book, and then they'll spread it. But all this stuff. I'm keeping track of monthlies and then what happens in a month, like whether advertising goes up or my books are on other sites. And I really won't know till the end of the year. I'll probably have a better idea, but I'm aiming for two to three years. Uh, yeah, but I think I got to sell, what is it, either two or 3,000 books to, to recoup my cost. And that's not a, that's not a huge number. That's, that's relatively small. But, I mean, right now it, it seems insurmountable it's like it's lots oh yeah well you know it takes time it takes time like you said you 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 are new you're a newbie you're new to the game you put your name out there your books out there in all these digital markets and you're literally in that grocery store with all these other brands yes and that's the one thing like i've kind of like stressed to you know stress to friends and stuff like that or just to people in general when you're trying to get your name out there you got to either A, have something to make people aware that you're around and that you exist, because I think that for like the longest time, people just thought, well, if I put this on the internet, somebody will get it. And that isn't always, and that normally is not always the case. No, I, I agree. You got you to gotta have a, a make a buzz or be an audience. I have an audience for yourself. And I think, I don't know how it is for comic books, but having a backlist for selling books is very important. And I only have one book out right now. That's why I want to try to release one every year. Yes. Uh, that's going to be a lot of money. So. <laughs> I'm thankful that I'm single with no like kids or school debt or credit card debt or nothing. Because, man, and I'm good with money. Yes. Because I'd be screwed. So you're smart to have a two or three year plan. Uh, you know, so that way, one, like you said, you can create a catalog, you can have a backlist, and that also continues to give you time to get your name out there, period. Because once once people know you, you know, you hope to get that 10,000 to 100,000 followers to constantly get your stuff every time. Yeah, hopefully, man. But it's it's rough right now. That's <laughs> it's so it's so rough. Oh no, man. Hey, it's 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 but it's the beginning. It's not really like they said. Like a lot of people have said in the past, it's not where you start. It's how you finish. Pricing. How much is your book going for? It is going for four ninety nine, and it is DRM free, so you can do whatever you want with it. Okay. What I've noticed is, and I'm sure you've seen it too, uh, like we say, for instance, a mainstream novel or something that's very popular and, and well known about in the general public, you'll see like the either the um, the hardcover go for you know X amount of dollars could be anywhere between let's say like you know fifteen ninety nine to thirty ninety nine, and the digital price there really isn't that big of a break between the, and like an ebook or digital price and the actual hardcover. 
And I, what I don't understand is, you know, you would think that there would be a major difference between the, between the two as far as pricing goes. Now, with your book, your book is adequately priced. You know, $4.99, you know, for a full-length novel, ebook style, great. But, like, if I went to go get, like, say, for instance, like, popular, um, let's say, let's just say I wanted the latest Sue Grafton novel. And the only reason why I say Sue Grafton is because my wife has them all upstairs. Um, mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> so you say. <laughs> no, she does actually. Seriously, but um, let's say I wanted like the latest one, and I wanted to read it electronically. And instead of paying, you know, twenty four ninety nine for a hardcover, they want like seventeen ninety nine or you know twelve ninety nine for a digital copy. Now I'm just I'm just making this up. I don't know the actual number, the actual prices on their stuff, but for something like that, why would I even? pay that it's it's digital you know what i mean and especially like in a situation like a book like that i'm sure that's not that's not going to be drm free Uh, how can i put this okay there's like a huge divide discussions over pricing right so for years publishers have said that they've increased prices on books because of paper costs uh and then recently for years they've said that it's not really paper cost. And so when you see a price for almost as high as the hardcover, you're like, you know, what the hell? Why is this shit uh, $14.99 uh, instead of uh, 5 bucks, right? Now, it's, I don't know. See, okay, so the difference between pricing, you're mainly talking about uh, the traditional publishers. Mm-hmm. So when Amazon, I don't know if you know about this, but like last year, Amazon tried to cap uh, their prices at nine ninety nine. Be- this was before the iPad came out. They tried to cap it, and they were gonna give uh, people seventy percent from two ninety nine to nine ninety nine. And then the publishers got off in a huff, and there's just like this weird agency model because people thought they were gonna read on the iPad, and no one reads on the iPad. Oh no, excuse me, they read on the iPad through the Kindle or Nook app, okay. which is, which is weird. Okay, this is their. I think this is the publisher's fault. I, th- I have, obviously, or there seems to be people that are buying the big-name titles, or big-name people like the Sue Graftons, the Stephen Kings, the Dan Browns. They're buying the e-books at $12.99, $14.99. Now, if you compare that to the hardcover, which is anywhere from $24 to $29, that's a good deal. And if people are buying them, like I personally won't pay that much for an ebook, mm-hmm. as much as I love uh, certain writers. But if people are buying them, I see no fault with the publishers pricing the big names at that. My biggest problem, and I think a lot of people's biggest problem, is when like, I wait for paperbacks because I don't like hardbacks; they're too wieldy. When the paperback comes out and it's what seven ninety nine. And then you're paying the same price for the ebook or more or like a dollar less, then people I think have a problem with that pricing because you waited all this time. Mm-hmm. So actually some ebooks are actually more than the paperback. You yeah. wait all this time and you're like, why is this ebook twelve ninety nine when I can go to uh well, I used to be able to go to Borders. I could go to Barnes and Nobles and buy it for like eight bucks. Right. So I don't, I really don't know what they they're thinking. I could understand uh, having a high price and then lowering it when when you come out uh, with lower physical books. But me, I I won't pay more than a paperback book price for an ebook. Occasionally nine ninety nine, but I must like 
really love you. But for me, five bucks. Uh, some indie authors believe ninety nine cents or two ninety nine. It really is all over the place, depending on what side of the fence you're on. Hell yeah! Not not only that, but taking into consideration, depending on what app you're going through, or what you know, what or what vendor you're going through. It's like, say, for instance, if um, you're going through like a vendor who has an app on Apple, and yeah. you know, Apple's going to get their cut, and then after Apple gets their cut, the vendor gets their cut, and then you get your money. Yeah. So, you know, it all depends. See, and that's a whole other thing, too. It's like I, sometimes I think some of these publishers are like, well, if Apple's going to get their cut and so and so is going to get their cut, you know, we want to make sure that our cut stays the same. And so then I got then to a point like I get where what they're trying to accomplish with these prices. But at the same time, it's like, you know, if, if your paper sales are struggling, but you think by pricing your digital high, that will co- co- you know, coerce people to go paper that actually, you know, that hasn't really worked well. You know what I mean? Well, they're they're fighting they're fighting the digital age, much like music and movies. They all fought it, so now it's the publisher's turn to to fight it. And I mean, there's their business model is so messed up. Like the reason things are expensive, it's not like I said before. It's not the paper. It's the fact that their offices are in New York for no no discernible reason like you don't need to be in new york but they have really high rent so what are you gonna you gotta pay snook you gotta get the money for snooki from somewhere Uh, that's that's you know we're not gonna talk about that mess (laughs) who go you know how is that a bestseller oh well i she didn't i forgot the numbers but she didn't end up selling that much but the, the if you're talking about the new york times bestseller it's based very similar to comics. Like it's based on what the bookstores order. Mm, okay. But then, uh, unlike comics, the bookstores ha- could return them. And in the publishing industry, an acceptable rate is like thirty-five to fifty percent return, which is ridiculous in any other business. Yeah. But that it's acceptable to get half your product returned. You see, in, in comic books, there's no such thing as returning books. There shouldn't. I don't. There shouldn't be. It's left over from the Great Depression era, like returning books. I, you know, I, that is just that's just see. Because to me, that's just bizarre. To me, I've always looked at it from like a retail standpoint. If I order X amount of this or X amount of that, if it moves off the shelf, I get some more, and I continue to get it until it stops moving. And if it stops moving, I still have a backlog of it. I blow it out. That's the way. That's the way it's always worked in my head. So yeah. I, that's why I don't understand. That whole, you know, level, you know, we can ship it back. It's okay. I, I don't really understand that. You buy it, you sell it, you move it. It's like with comic book stores. It drives me crazy. Like, I know that they can't ship the books back, and I understand that. I guess, like, with me and comic book stores, I've always been the one to say, you know what, this is a store. And as a store, it's your job to move stock. And so if you've got, like, 40 boxes, 40 long boxes of, like, old comics, yeah, I know this is uh, comics are also a collectible market, which sometimes I think hurt the, the industry as a whole because people stopped reading. Not, I shouldn't say people, but some people stopped reading comics and just started just collecting them. The more stock you move, the more your business is profitable, and then you can go buy somebody else's collection and constantly, and constantly flip and move stock. And then that way you're making money, your business is making money, you're, you know, and then your monthlies are also making money because you're moving them too. And then you're not stressed out and possibly about to go out of business. No, nah, man. See, I agree with you. Like, I, one of my first jobs when I was a teenager, I used to work in a toy store. So, say, after when people realized the prequels sucked, right, and those, they made shitty toys, 
they would get we couldn't return them they would just get marked down where you buy like three for ten dollars and then three for five dollars and then when i i moved i worked in a bookstore a few years later and people we would over uh over order stuff like the people i worked with all the girls they loved laurel k hamilton so they ordered like they ordered huge uh things when her book came out and that didn't sell so we returned it it's because it's weird, right? So hardcovers, the they return, but when it comes to magazines or or paper books, you strip the cover and then you throw the book away and you send the cover back. Yeah, I never understood that either. When I used like years ago, like when I used to work for Toys R Us and uh, Comp USA, we'd have a guy come in and like rip the covers off. And then, like, throw the books out. And I remember one time just joking. I was like, yo, save me a copy of Game Pro, okay? And I was just joking. And, like, yeah. his eyes, like, lit up, and he got super serious. He's like, I can't give you these copies. I have to throw them away for legal reasons. Uh. Da, 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 da. I'm like, I'm just playing. You need to relax. It's okay. Go throw them away. And, like, for days, like, he didn't want to talk to me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Man, that was, see, at our, at our place, we can keep the stuff. Because it's going in the trash, so we I I got a lot of magazines that way, and uh, I'm very shallow, so I couldn't really take the books without the cover, <laughs> and and sometimes I would even rip off uh, a magazine that I saw my wanted. I was like, oh, this just came out, the new Inquest, rip. Mark, what are you doing? I want this magazine, but I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. There is no more Inquest now. I may, I may have been a part of that. Yeah, you were part of Inquest's demise. Yeah, yes, you were. Yeah, yes, you were. I remember. Hey, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, I would. I just want to say I would buy the Playboy because I wanted the, you know, the cover. So <laughs> there's that. I remember there being our mom and pop stores and like, like uh, just like regular like um, United Dairy Farmers, like shake shops and stuff like that, where they would sell comic books and then they would rip the covers off. And, and like ship the covers back to uh, this is back in like 70s and 80s. They would ship the covers back to the publisher, yeah. and then instead of trashing the books, they would take those books without the covers and bundle them in baggies and sell them for cheap. Hmm. And they and they would move those books would those books were moved because like they were like kids, and you know this like I said this was like late 70s early 80s when comics were anywhere between you know 35 cents to like 60 cents. And, and so if you had a kid that couldn't afford a 60 cent, 60 cent comic but could get like a bag, like five or six comics without covers for 60 cents, that was gold. So the store still made money. The kid was happy because he got some comics. Yeah, he, he might not have had covers, but he still got some comics, and everybody was happy. So I, I, I never really understood the whole tear, tear, the, tear the cover off, burn, and like, you know, burn or throw away the magazine. I never really understood that process either. I, I never, never have, no. I know it could at least uh, recycle. Yeah, but uh, but at least the the comic publishers realize that that is the most stupidest thing is to allow returns. So I they eventually stop. Whereas bookstores are like, well, we've been doing this since like I don't know the 1930s. So even though it's the 21st century, let's continue to do it. Yeah, right? it doesn't work, man. It doesn't work. You know, times change and processes have to change. I'm glad everything is going digital, especially since I live in a cramped apartment. Like I prefer 
digital books. Uh, I'll download a digital game. Uh, give me a, give me everything digital. I don't even want to buy the DVD. Just let me stream it. I'm I'm like and I'm in the fifty fifty camp. There are things I want digital, and there are things I still want to hold in my hand. You know if you know what I mean. But I but I'm but I I have to stress that I am very happy that we do have. You know, and in some aspects, not in all aspects, because some companies are being real selfish and slow on the digital tip. But I'm glad that some companies and some forms of media are finally accepting the fact that there is a need for digital media as well. Because I, I have a lot of comic books and a lot of these, and a lot of these books I can't get to because either I don't have the time or I don't want to pull out boxes and all this other stuff. And I, you know, and I mean, I have the finances to make like a room ergonomically correct to where I could just get to my books with the greatest of ease. But I'm able to read some of these books digitally without any problems. So, you know, I, and, I, and I don't really want all these books in my house anymore. Like I said, I love comic books. I love novels. I love reading. But yeah. I don't want all these books in my house anymore. I, I've kind of like hit this age where, you know, don't get me wrong. I love media. I love music. I love movies. I love so much stuff. But... I really don't want all of this in my house anymore. So I like to balance it out. There, If I could have half my comic book collection in digital and then the stuff I really love, truly, truly, truly love in print, I'd be fine. Because like my music collection, I, I, I took like 800 of my own CDs, finally ripped them into, an, into iTunes in high quality, and I sold all my CDs over the, over the span of like three months. Oh, see? Yeah, see? I mean, you're... You're still going to have something in your hand if you go digital. It'll just be like a Kindle, an iPad, or an MP3 player. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel you on the love stuff. Like, if they ever do, if DC ever puts out, um, what do they call it? They don't, absolute edition of Preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be buying it. Like, and Lucifer, same thing. Even if it, like, uh, uh, Lucifer and Preacher are on Comixology, which is nice. I love Comixology, but. I would prefer the hardcover and extras and but everything else I don't give a shit about. Uh, I'll read it like I I don't know how often you reread stuff, but me that's like especially now that I got the podcast, I can't reread stuff. So I reread it once and then um, I sell it and you can go to the comic forums if you want to buy some cheap movies and cheap <laughs> comics uh, and then I sell it and get rid of it and it's out the door. No, yeah. I feel you. No, there are some things that I will go back to 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 read again. I don't. I, I'm not able to do it as much as I used as I used to be able to do it. There are some things like, say, for instance, Absolute Crisis. I Absolute Crisis on Infinite Earths. That Absolute is amazing. It's beautiful. The colors are great. I love the paper stock, and I love just like picking up that book, putting it in my lap because I'll be damned if you're just going to sit there and try to hold it up and read it, <laughs> and just like you know, go through the pages. Kind of like Absolute New Frontier. Same thing. Love look, you know, looking at that and holding that book in my hand. But like, say for instance, if it was uh, the entire run of Firestorm, whether it be the Ronnie Raymond run or the Jason Rush run, yeah. man, I could have that on digital and just like read that on my iPad, not even complain. Yeah, no, I, 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 I played with my friend's iPad, and while I like it, it's not to the level that I want it to be or not even the nook color. Like I still buy nonfiction books at the physical because, well, for some strange reason, uh, nonfiction books electronically are really expensive. Mm. So the physical parts might be cheaper, but I need the pictures and the diagrams and all that stuff. And until it gets to a point where 
I don't want to say like gamer where things pop out. Well, yeah, like gamer or minority report where things pop out, then I'll be like all digital all the time. <laughs> as long as it like doesn't turn into like pop up video, I'm okay. You know, it, it, all, it, all depends awesome. on the project. it all depends on the project. It all depends on the project and what you're trying to do with it. Like, say, for instance, like I like what I like. I like what graphically does like graphically allows you to if you got a comic, um, if you have a comic, you know, on their site, depending on who does the comic, you can have like an audio commentary. You can have it to you can have it to where you get like, uh, you know, f- the full color pages or you can strip it down to the pencils, strip it down to the pencils and inks. It's 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 pretty amazing all the things you can do. They make comics interactive without making them corny. Oh, see, I didn't know that because I tried out graphically for my droid, and I I fucking hate them, dude. Uh, I'm see like on on the iPad graphically yeah. oh. is awesome. See on a smaller device, it's it's clunky, and since you don't download the comic, it has to load, and you have to you know. Uh, uh, pinch your fingers to zoom in unlike comiXology which is just tap tap and it does it automatically okay. but on the iPad huh graphically is good yeah on the iPad graphically is good dude seriously well, I don't have a tablet <laughs> you gotta go get a tablet see once you, get, once you get those major book sales you got to go get that tablet I gotta pay my editor <laughs> <laughs> and get, pay, pay my graphic designer for a cover I said I was gonna say as much as I as as I love digital, I'm not against because my family uh, they're older than me, obviously. Then they they'll support me. I love them, even though they're a pain in the ass. So uh, <laughs> they they were asking about physical book, and I'm not against the idea of putting one out there. So I might I might do that someday. Well, now you've heard that uh, Amazon is a. Uh supposedly going to really start pushing this division they have where they will print they will just go ahead and print your book for you yeah are you talking about create space um no it's uh, it, it might be create space but there's something i read something the other day or i wish i would have kept the article where they're trying to like push back on publishers and say you know what we don't want your books we'll just print them ourselves oh yeah i, I know what you're talking about i i read that but i didn't uh, and then publishers did something in response. Well, what what I okay, what I might plan to do, assuming uh, your lovely audience out there buys my book, <laughs> uh, what I want to do and uh, plan for maybe be uh, uh, two years down the line is that I would like like you, I would do a Kickstarter fund, but I would make the book collectible edition, and we're talking like hardbound leather nice like paper all that fancy shit uh but that's not a couple years that's like an idea i have floating in my head assuming i could you know recoup my costs now and then get an audience and then hopefully they'll support me because it'd be nice to have six uh my series of six uh planned series uh have that all out in hardcover and it'd be It'd be look. It'd be looking tight. That's like uh, in my mind, I imagine it. Like it wouldn't be a regular book. Like I could easily do a regular book, like through Create Space now. But this would be fancy. Right. Yeah. Okay. But that's 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 what I want to do someday. Oh, you'll oh. get there, man. But remember, you got to pay them editors first. 
Yeah. Well, everything would already be edited. Oh, well, there you go. Because I would just have to pay printers and stuff. Before we close up the interview, we've talked about some of the vendors where you can get this ebook at, like Amazon and Barnes and Noble and things like that. Has your experience with these uh, vendors been a positive experience so far? This is interesting. Yeah. Okay. So for Smashwords, I use them primarily as a distributor. Because to get to like Sony, Kobo, or uh, iBookstore, you have to use a distributor. Or in the case of iBookstore, you have to have a Mac for some strange reason. And who has a Mac? (laughs) (laughs) So it like, but their process to getting accepted for their distribution is very tough. Like, I don't know how much you know about Microsoft Word. Uh, I, I use it, but I didn't know anything and all the all the extra stuff it adds. Yes. But you have to like reformat it and strip it all out and go and going through a hundred and five thousand words is is a lot as opposed to some people have novellas for like fifty, sixty thousand. Right. So getting through that distribution is a bit of a pain. But now that I'm there, so it takes a, it takes a, like a few weeks, maybe a month, but. It's it's been okay, and then for Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, like Barnes and Nobles uh, has a really good tracking editing uh, tracking system. So uh, uh, if people buy a book there, uh, I could track it to it tracks to like the second they buy one, and then Amazon has a nice uh, Excel spreadsheet or whatever spreadsheet that it shows me all the stuff. So I mean, I haven't actually gotten paid yet. (laughs) <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I I like for Amazon. I I made enough to get paid, and I see how much I should, and they break down my royalty rates. But I have to. They don't start till the first two months, and my book hasn't been out for two months yet. And then after that, it's monthly, and I think it's monthly for everyone except for Smashwords, which is quarterly. But my my experience is it's been simple to throw it up there. I don't know about payment receiving it, but uploading to Amazon or Barnes and Nobles is relatively simple. Smashwords takes a bit of work. And yeah, so that's the one thing I really wanted to hear most is just as far as your distribution goes, as far as payments and ease of getting the accessible data that you need to know and figure out your market. So that's always key. Uh, that's that's something that some digital comic vendors still are having issues with. Not all, but some. And uh, so yeah, that's something that's real major to me. Well, there's a downside. Like, I don't do this, but a lot of uh, writers, they check their sales, not daily, not even hourly, but they seem to like do it every few minutes or hourly, which is insane. So yeah, there is, insane. yeah, it's like you can get, you might have, get addicted to that and be like, oh man, I haven't, I haven't sold the book in the last hour. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> What's wrong with my sales? Like, I see all these posts. I haven't sold a book in a day. What's what? wrong with my sales? Oh, jeez. So, oh, and there's one last thing. So, for, for publishers, right, this is uh, a relatively new development. It seems that while people think the publishers stiff you on ebook sales anyway, and they probably do, 25% is pretty low. But they don't tell you exactly how many sales you have. Like, this is the problem. There's no tracking system. And what they do is they calculate your sales for, say, the first month of electronically. 
And then six months out, instead of looking uh, at whatever through Amazon, for instance, they just calculate what you sold first month times six. So I've heard of a few riders getting screwed because they're like, why are my sales so low? Yeah. So. Yeah, because like, what if you blow up the spot in month three? Well, they'll get all the money, and then they'll report what you earned in your first month times whatever that month is. <laughs> See, that's ja- that's jacked up. See, that's some boy. That's some shady, shady right there. That's, boy, that's about as bad as that's about as bad as Hollywood math. That's awful. Well, I think their I think their uh, quote unquote defense is they would have to put in a new system, and that would cost money. And to be fair, they have. Uh, let go of a lot of people in the industry because things aren't good. But now you're screwing over the people that actually make you money. So exactly, and <laughs> and then eventually, then they'll leave and just say, you know what, I'll just do this myself without you. And you know, and yeah, and for some, some may be able to do that, and some may not be able to. But it doesn't see, it doesn't. It's not helping. That's what. That's what. That's the point I'm trying to get to. Stuff like that doesn't help your industry. I don't know how this feels because I've not been traditionally published, uh, book wise. But I think it's easier if you have books, a backlist, all that shit's been edited, and you have an audience. People are starting to leave their traditional publishers or put in the stuff that the books that aren't available on the shelves. And they're starting to make a lot of money. Yes. uh, As opposed to uh, the couple, the advance, the small advance they would get. Oh, yeah. And they're smart for doing so, man. Uh, You know, we're in a. We are honestly in a DIY generation, more than ever. So if you can make that paper, if, if you have that following, if you can make that paper now, do it yourself. I, I agree, but I, I think there are two things people shouldn't do themselves. Save the money and get it edited, no matter how great you are. Yes. Aside from relying on your beta readers, I think you should save that to get it edited at least twice. Uh, one copy editing and then one developmental. And then I think this is the biggest thing. So... I'm a shallow man. I judge book by their covers all the time. <laughs> so, so on ebooks, you kind of judge covers more. And this is the problem. A lot of writers, a lot of writers aren't artists. They don't know anything about like spacing, negative space, or different types of fonts, or image placing, and all that crap that I have no clue about. So you should hire someone to make your cover because I've seen a really really bad covers and it's it's them they said they've done it themselves but i find co- while editing costs a few grand my search for uh, graphic designers for ebook uh, covers has been about 50 to 100 dollars and i don't believe they, sh- they like ebook covers should generally be simplistic and i think symbolic and they shouldn't be illustrated i don't think because mm. it's a very you've seen your your thing in a thumbnail as opposed to uh six by nine paperback book so i think hire an editor and hire a graphic designer everything else formatting uh, that takes like a day or two to learn you could do everything else you could do yourself but uh yeah those two very important and and that's what i did and i'm poorer for it but i love i love my cover and i love my editor plus like like you said before this is just the beginning of what hopefully will be a long journey for both not only you but for your catalyst novel as well well, yeah, I'm currently working on the second book now. Once a year, I won't be George R.R. R. Martin and die before my series is complete. He ain't, he ain't gonna make it, dude. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I 
All right. Well, I tell you what. Before you take off, Mark, uh, let people know where they can, you know, once again get your book, Catalyst: The Passage of Hell's Fire, and where they can uh, find you on the internet. All right. So you can find me. Uh, I, I more or less started my own publishing company under the imprint Longshot Publishing. So you can go there, longshotpublishing.com, where I update my blog once a week, and it shows the links of where the books, where my books at, on Amazon or iBookstore, etc. And then it also shows my Twitter, twitter.com/hellsfire, where I rarely talk about writing and generally talk about the most random things, like how the Lakers got swept. <laughs> <laughs> and then I even have a Facebook fan page. Uh, where all my like cross posting from blogs and uh, uh, reviews and stuff and whatever else uh, is there, so I don't clog up my my site or my my Twitter or my yeah. So uh, oh, and then there's a podcast I forgot about that I talk about random stuff and then I talk about Vertigo comics. Uh, v for Vertigo uh, at v for Vertigo dot blogspot dot com. And that's out weekly, 30-minute show. Occasionally, a guest like Sean Pryor will come on or an interview. And then it'll be a little longer. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks for having me again, Sean. Hey. Really enjoyed it. Hey, Mark, no problem at all, man. We'll have you on again sometime in, in the near future. One day when I finally watch Beast Wars and Beast Machines, I'll, I'll have you back on and like I'll actually talk to you about it. And I can actually tell you what I know. And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the HHWLOD podcast network and is available at hhwlod.com and is also available via iTunes. And you can still go to pkdmedia.com to get our podcast, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murder, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store for free. If you're on iTunes or our forum board, feel free to leave us a comment or you can email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard. Thank you.